So it's always fun in the summer we do these preaching teams and give John props to John. You, you start, you come out and you have to prepare a sermon and all of a sudden it's like, man, John does this every week. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> but it's, enjoy, it's, it's exciting, it's terrifying because I get to get out from behind my guitar for a little bit, feel a little uh, exposed up here, just not having a guitar right here in front of me. Um, but excited to be here and excited to share with you this morning. Um, as John said, we are in this series, They Say, I Say. And, and the thing I love about Matthew, Matthew, each gospel presents a different perspective on Jesus. And Matthew presents this perspective as Jesus as the Messiah, as the King, the one who has come to save and to be the King. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, it's, it's his manifesto. And he starts with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are the picture of what a citizen of his kingdom looks like. And then he walks through all of these situations, this is stuff we've been talking about, that they say, I say, and how does, what, is that, what does life look like in the kingdom? And so I'm going to jump in right in with our, our oaths this morning. It comes right after the, the passage that, that John preached on two weeks ago on divorce, because oaths and, and, and marriage are related. Marriage is founded on these vows, and oaths are a type of vow, or vows are a type of oath. And so Matthew records Jesus, and he says, again, because it comes right after divorce, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white, though some of us wish we could change those hairs. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. James, the brother of Jesus, echoes this in James chapter 5, and he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. And so I just want to give you a quick context of what we're talking about. So check out this clip. Take off your hand. I'll raise your right hand. I'll place your left hand here. Take off your hand. Raise your right hand. I'll put your left hand here. Please take off your hand. Raise your right hand. Now <laughs> put your left hand here. Will you please take off your hat? Raise your right hand. Now put your left hand here. Take off your hat. Raise your right hand. Will you get rid of that hat? Raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the truth, and nothing but the truth? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, hold to that other truth? Are you trying to give me the double talk? Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, hold to that other but the truth? Why don't you answer him? He's talking big Latin. I don't know what he's saying. He's asking you if you swear. No, to... but I know all the words. He's asking you if you'll swear to tell the truth. Truth is stranger than fiction, Judgey Wudgey. <laughs> Kindly address this court as your honor. And take the oath. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, hold to that other but the truth? Certainly. What have I got to lose? Take the stand. You don't get much more American than that, right? Jazz and apple pie and three stooges. I used to watch that and I would laugh 
for hours. And if you know me, it's not really laughing. It's more like howling and cackling. And my mom would stand in the kitchen chuckling as she made dinner at her son's ridiculous laughter. But that's the first thing that came, that came to mind as I read this, this passage. And I'm going, OK, what are we talking about here? OK, right? You, you swear an oath in the court of law. And I was thinking about this, this Three Stooges skit. And we, right, the president swears an oath. When we, you serve in public office, you hold a public office, you swear an oath. Uh, Military, you swear oaths. When you get married, you swear a vow to one another. Sometimes when you have to sign a contract, like your taxes, and you sign a thing at the end that says, I swear by the best of my knowledge that all the information contained herein is true. And Right? So we, there's some oaths that we swear still today. But Jesus says, don't do that. He says, I say to you, don't swear any oaths at all. And so the really obvious question is, are we supposed to take that at face value? That's what the Quakers do. The Quakers say, we're not going to swear any oaths. And so for a long time, they couldn't hold public office. They had trouble in the court taking this oath. And eventually, the laws got changed and allowed for more generic language so that they could swear it without swearing it. And it's kind of got around the letter of the law, as it were. But is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what Jesus wants us to take away from this? Because right, we're trying to follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. And I think there's two things that we can point out really quickly. There's two reasons why that's not what he means, that we're not just meant to take that at face value. The first thing is because in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is standing before the the high priest. They're trying to convict him. And they've got all these false witnesses, and they're they're trying to give false testimony about him. And and they're all contradicting each other. And Jesus just stands there and says nothing and just lets them make fools of themselves, as Jesus is very good at. And finally, the high priest, in all of his frustration, says, I adjure you by the living God, are you the Messiah? He puts Jesus under oath. And that's the moment when Jesus actually responds. And he says, I am. And you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds and sitting at the right hand of God. And so if Jesus responded under oath, he's the one who gave this teaching. But I think the second reason that we can, we can say that that's not what he meant for us to take it at face value, is that God himself in Hebrews 6 swore an oath. Genesis 15, Abraham is asking, and he's, he's going, can I believe what God says he's going to do? And so Hebrews tells us that because of Abraham's inability to believe, God decides to swear an oath to help him believe. He made a covenant with him. God didn't need to make a covenant. Abraham, the covenant was for us. Not because of any, right, untruth within God's character, but because of the untruth that we have innately as the human race, which makes us cynical and skeptical and unlikely to believe other people just at their word. So God himself swore an oath. Jesus responded under oath. And so I think it's safe to say that Jesus didn't mean for us to to take this in a literal way. And if we start to dig through what he's talking about, we get to something actually a lot more difficult. So let's dig. In verse 33, Jesus begins by recalling the teaching the they said from the Old Testament, from the Mosaic law. And he says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. 
That sounds really similar to, it's not a direct quote from anywhere in the Old Testament, but it sounds really similar to Deuteronomy 23. And here's what Moses writes. He says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay filling it, fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. In other words, if you make a vow, you better fulfill it. And then he continues in verse 22 and says, but if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. See, in, in the ancient world, at Jesus' time, but also at the time of Moses, everybody took oaths. They were kind of like verbal contracts. We also swore oaths to our friends. I, I swear by this podium, I'm going to repay you on Monday if a buddy lent you some money. And because the Israelites were meant to reflect the character of God to the nations, God gave them laws to help them do it. It's not the only point of the law in the Old Testament, but that was one of the things. And so they had some restrictions about oaths and oath-taking. It wasn't forbidden, but it was, the emphasis was on you have to fulfill because God is a covenant maker. He keeps his covenants. Numbers 23 says that God is not like a man that he should lie. God keeps his promises always. And so the Israelites we're commanded, if you make a covenant, you better keep it. And you notice verse 22, it said, but if you don't vow, you won't sin. So it's permitted, not commanded. And so Jesus sums that up. But the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes are the ones who interpret the law. The, the Pharisees are the ones who are really good at keeping the law. The scribes and the Pharisees had twisted the law they, hadn't, they didn't rewrite it as such, but they twisted it to meet their own ends. They put their own spin on it. And so Jesus then, after verse 33 and verse 34 and 37, 36, sorry, he starts to reclaim the law from the ways that the, the Pharisees had twisted it. And so he says this, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And so what the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes had done was they had shifted the emphasis. Remember, the emphasis in the Old Testament teaching is if you take a vow, Make sure you fulfill it. That's the emphasis. And the Pharisees and the scribes had started saying, well, the, actually the really important part is the thing by which you swore. Because if it's directly related to God, then it's binding. But if it's not directly related to God, uh, then it's not binding. Jesus levels a series of woes at the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, and it clarifies a little bit of, of, of the language that they were using. Jesus says, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it's nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, then he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? 
So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. You see, the Pharisees had gotten into this, they'd shifted the emphasis so that I could say, well, Joey over here lent me $100 on Monday. And I swear by the podium, Joey, if you lend me that money, I'm going to pay you back in a week. And a week later, Joey comes back to me and says, where's my money? And I say, well, see, I had the money, but then I saw this beautiful guitar over here. And it was so beautiful that I couldn't help myself. I swore another oath that I would buy that guitar. But this time, see, I swore by the manuscript that sits on the podium. And he says, no, 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 that's not going to fly. Let's go over to the leaders. And the leaders are the Pharisees and the scribes who interpret the law. And so my, my buddy Joey brings me over and says, this guy won't pay me back. And oaths were sworn. And they say, okay, what were the exact words? So he says, well, he swore by the podium. And I say, ah, but I, I swore to buy the guitar by the manuscript that sits on the podium. Starting to selling restraining at gnats and swallowing flies and all that stuff, right? We still do that with the, with the law today. And so the, the Pharisees, the scribes, would, would, would go, ah, well, the podium, you know, it's just an object. Like, but the manuscript, well, there's holy teaching about God in there. So that's the one that really counts. So you, you don't have to pay your friend back. Right? We've played with the emphasis of the law is still the same. The words are still the same. We've just changed. We've shifted the emphasis. And the, so the Pharisees have, have dumbed it down so that it's less stringent, so that we can still keep it, but still lie and cheat and steal with our words. But we can still keep the law. We can still be righteous. And since we're righteous, that must mean we're okay with God because that's what he said. They dumbed it down. And so Jesus starts to push against that. He recalls the law, then he reclaims it from their twisted interpretations. And then finally in verse 37, he starts to reframe the law. And he says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. See, in Matthew 5, Jesus had said to the crowd, to his disciples, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so the first thing he does is that he takes the concept, the concept that obeying the law is about obeying the words and the letter, which allowed the, the Pharisees could play with and shift the emphasis. And he says, no, 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 no. The law is about the spirit of the law, and the spirit of the law is about the heart. And so for your yes to be yes and your no to be no, what he's really saying is, I'm not getting rid of oaths. What I'm saying is I'm elevating the seriousness of when you tell someone yes. When you say, yes, honey, I'll be on time. Yes, Johnny, I'll be at your baseball game on Saturday. That has the same weight and gravity as when you look your wife or future wife in the eye and swear a vow to her on a wedding day. That has the same weight as when the president says, yes, I will fulfill this oath of public office. He's raising the bar. He's upping the ante. And so really what he's calling us to is radical integrity. Because you and I know that when someone tells us they'll do something, 
we tend to wait and see. Because we know that we are all inherently skewed. We twist the truth. We want to manipulate and control circumstances and each other and God. God, I swear, if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll, I'll read my Bible more, I'll pray more. But Jesus is calling us to radical integrity. To obey the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. And if you're like me, and hopefully you, you start to see this as a pattern as we go through all of these subjects, you, you hear this teaching and you watch as Jesus puts the bar back where it was and really truly was in the Old Testament, and then he kicks it up a notch. And we're like his disciples when he says, you know, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom. And we go, oh, I see it, I see the problem. None of us can actually do that. <laughs> Right, do you, do you see that? Are you guys awake this morning? Just checking in real quick. Everybody awake? Okay. Right, we, we read this and we go, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a great manifesto. I mean, this kingdom thing sounds great. The only problem is nobody can do it. Right, because, man, we are awfully good at lying. And we don't even know we're doing it sometimes. In fact, we, we break our word without even meaning to. Have you ever double booked yourself? Darn, I thought that was on a different day. Shoot, now I have to choose one. I told him I was going to do it, and I told it. That's just, that's not personal brokenness. That's the brokenness of the world. We forget stuff, and we can't be in two places at once, so, which is why God doesn't ever break his word, because he doesn't forget, and he can be everywhere at once. Like, I'm going to save Johnny, and, well, I, I'm saving Johnny, so I can't save Karen. Darn, double booked. Right? <laughs> God doesn't do that. But we do. We are so deeply broken. And the nature of the kingdom is once again, just like the law in, in this sense, is completely ba based and founded on God's character. God is the one who is completely truth. His son is the way, the truth, and the life. His spirit is the spirit of truth. James chapter 1 says that he, there is no shadow or variation within him. He's the father of light. He's always true. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that all his promises are yes in Jesus. He never breaks his promises. He never deceives or lies. And we fall utterly short of that. So we read this and go, darn. I realize this, the depth to which falsehood is in me at levels that I don't even realize. We flew to the UK a couple weeks ago to see my parents. And uh, we're in the plane, and the kids love the plane. You know, you get the table that folds down and they're all cozy in their seats and you get little screens and watching cartoons for 10 hours or something unhealthy. And about an hour into the flight, they brought out the food and we put the, I was sitting next to Anouk on the, on the, on the she had a window seat and put down her tray. They brought out the food, took the top off and got a spoon of chicken and rice out or whatever it was and blew on it and stick my tongue on it and convinced her to open up. Come on, you want a bite? Don't you please eat? She opens her mouth finally pop a bite in, and immediately she starts screaming and clawing at her mouth. And if you, as a parent, have never had the joy and blessing of a child screaming 
in a confined space. You are missing out. <laughs> Everybody looks at you, and the hair hostesses are like, terrible parent. So I got back, and was in the office, and I start telling the story, because it's a funny story. But as I was studying for this, I suddenly started realizing that I was emphasizing a couple of things. I was emphasizing how hot that food was, how much I blew on it beforehand, and how airlines, come on, they never serve food that hot. And I started to think about my motives a little bit and realize, oh, I'm emphasizing, I'm still telling the story and the truth, but I'm emphasizing certain things so that you come away going, that airline, and so that you don't come away going, Tim's a terrible father. <laughs> right? It's, it, and I, that wasn't even conscious. Those decisions got made on subconscious levels. It's deeply ingrained in us. We are really good at lying. If you start Googling how often does the average person lie in a day, once in a 10-minute conversation, sometimes as many as two to three times. And it's not outright bold-faced lies. It's a skewing of the truth. It's a slight de-emphasis of this detail and an emphasis on this detail because I want to spare your feelings or I want you to think that I'm better than I maybe am. And so we come back to this text of Jesus saying, radical integrity is a characteristic of a citizen of the kingdom. That's what I'm calling you to. And we go, nah, he can't really mean that. He must, he clearly doesn't mean not taking oaths, but he can't mean what he, what that, because that, we can't do that. And we need to be really careful because the Pharisees did the same thing. They said, we can't do that. Let's make it keepable. And so they dumbed it down. They found loopholes. They allowed for some wiggle room. And so if we start to create wiggle room in this, we start to become just like the Pharisees. And so the point that Jesus is trying to make, the very first point that he's trying to make in this sermon is that that's right, you can't do anything. We're doers, right? The Pharisees were doers too. They wanted to be able to do something, to earn something. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. You can't do anything because I have already done or I'm going to do everything. And that's the beauty of this kingdom is that he puts the law, he keeps God's standard high and then he does it for us. That's why he came to be our righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5, he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so he came and he never lied to his parents. He never broke any promises. He never deceived anyone. He never uttered a, a skewed, slanted word in his life. He was always where he said he was going to be. And then not only that, but then he went to the cross where he was beaten and tortured and nailed for promises that he never broke commitments that he never broke, lies he never told, yours and mine. Yours and mine. And so the first thing that Jesus is trying to accomplish here in this section about oaths is to make us look at ourselves and our ability to tell the truth and, be, and have integrity and to go, man, 
point. Lord, I can't do this. That's repentance. That's saying, Jesus, I need you. Because I can't, but you can. And that's forgiveness. Lord, I want to do better. I know I don't have to do it because I don't have to earn it. You've already earned it for me. But you love me, and that makes me want to do better. And the beauty of it is that not only did he die for that, but he also rose from the dead. And then he sent his spirit, the spirit of truth, is what John tells us, who will guide us into all truth. We have his spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have his spirit inside you who begins to work new things in you. That's what we call this big theological word, sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus, growing in righteousness. Romans chapter eight says that, one of my favorite verses, because of what Jesus has done, the righteous requirement of the law is filled in you as you walk by his spirit. Did you catch that? The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in you as you walk by his spirit. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect in truth telling and in integrity. We still stumble, we still fall. And that's where grace comes in because we live under grace now because of what Christ has done. And so we strive to tell the truth, to be honest with each other, not because we have to earn our own righteousness to save ourselves, but because we get to. Because we get to live in freedom in the way that God originally designed humans to interact with each other and with himself. Because there's freedom in telling the truth. Paul in Ephesians chapter three writes to the church of Ephesus. And he says to them, the first three chapters, he's just kind of done what we've just done. He's walked through. This is what Christ did, and this is your new status, and therefore, here's how you should act. And so verse 25, he gets to that big therefore, and he says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We are all sanctified. We have this new status God looks at us and sees truth-tellers because of what Christ has done. He doesn't see liars. And so we should act in a way that is true to our new position in the, in the kingdom of heaven. We should tell each other the truth. Because when we don't, that language of we are members of one another, that's like the head, it's the, it's the image of the body. When the head lies to the hand about where the mouth is, guess what? The head gets poked in the eye. And it hurts. And so we need to not lie to one another. We need to be honest with, with one another. And yeah, in big things, but in small things as well. I was a little convicted about how often I say to someone, we should hang out. <laughs> Guess how often that actually happens? Not all that often. A lot less than I'd like to think. So next time I say, hey, we should hang out, you should call me on that. <laughs> Seriously, if I'm saying it up here, like, you should call me on it. Why? Because I want to keep growing in this and what Jesus is talking about. Because my hope is that we as a, as, a, as a community are committed to following the Jesus way. 
through the power of the Spirit. So Jesus points us to the law. He points us to this law. He ups the ante, right? And that is supposed to make us look to him. It's not supposed to result in navel gazing. It's supposed to make us look to him because he's the only one who can. And then he enables us to do it. But what does it mean? What does this mean in every day? Obviously, lying, stop. We're called to radically, radical integrity. And the Spirit empowers us to do it as the citizens of the kingdom. But remember the the, the Stooges scene we we watched at the beginning? You remember his last words, Curly's last words, when he finally understands what's being asked of him to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And he says, certainly, I got nothing to lose. And that's still the issue. Is that we're on this side of salvation. We have Jesus. We have his spirit empowering us to live lives of radical integrity. But we still think we have something to lose. I have my pride to lose. I'm ashamed. I'm afraid you're going to find out. I'm afraid. Yeah, but Tim, you don't understand. Like, if, if I didn't operate under the table a little bit, if I, if I paid everybody what they should be making, even though for all the various reasons, and if I didn't cut corners a little, like, I'd never get ahead, my business would go under. Like, you're young, you don't understand. Yeah, but you don't understand. My, my boss, you see, he's a real pain in the neck, and he takes me for granted, he doesn't pay me enough, and, like, I deserve this. We got something to lose. Yeah, but you don't understand, like, social media, it's so good, like, I get to keep in touch with everybody, and, like, it's just an app that, like, makes me look nice and shiny, and there's that pesky zit, and, like, you got something to lose. No, but I, I know I said I'd be at his baseball game, but, like, if I, don't, if I miss this meeting, like, I'm going to lose my job. You got something to lose. And it's not a little thing to lose. Yeah, but I, you know, I I spent too much on shoes this weekend. I bought a new drill this weekend. I I mean, I I told him it was more than I thought it was going to be. But if I tell him the real number, like, he's going to flip out. He got something to lose. But I was going to go to this, this event here. It's, it, I committed to it. But there's this event. I mean, everybody's going to be there. This is going to be good for my career. We got something to lose. You see how it all comes back to that we got something to lose. And so we, sometimes in small ways, a lot of times in small ways, we start to deviate from the truth. We are, well, I'm telling a version of the truth. And there's lots of exceptions. There's some of them in the scripture. We can do exceptions all day, but Jesus says, my commitment is to radical integrity. And so I don't know what that is for you this morning. If there's an area of life that you're going, Yeah, I probably, 
should be a little more honest about this. Man, I hate that. That sense of like the Spirit's prompting that little tinge of conviction of going, darn, there's a conversation I need to go have. But if we are really serious about following Jesus, we need to be committed to the things he's committed to. And he said, he said in this sermon, he said, if you seek first the things of my kingdom, I'll take care of you. And it might not look what you think it's going to look like, but I will take care of you. As the band comes up, we're going to close with a song that we've sung a lot here, but it as I was looking at the lyrics, it just, you know, it started to take on new meaning because radical integrity calls us to go out into the unknown. Jesus is calling us to tell the truth in ways that make us, that leave us vulnerable. That might open us up to our shame and our fears. And it leads us out into the unknown where feet may fail, where you might find yourself sinking amid the waves. But that's where his grace abounds. When you follow him, that's where his grace abounds. That's where his sovereign hand guides you. And so my challenge for us this morning is not that we wouldn't take oaths and not that we wouldn't, but that we would be committed to radical integrity like Jesus is. With ourselves, with one another, with those in the wider community. And that we would trust him because that's what the kingdom is about. That you would trust him. Mm-hmm.